Good evening, everyone. I want to welcome you who are here and those who are watching. We want to greet you all and welcome you to our Wednesday night Bible study. Um, I'm getting a little echo up here. Um, so tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to want a very important subject, one of many important subjects in the Bible. It's a subject that uh, that essential to our Christian walk and our Christian uh, growth. It is essential also to our standing in relationship with God as well as with each other. It's also essential to our prayer lives. But before we get into this subject, let's just pray and then we'll get right into the word. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. We thank you, Father God, for being here tonight. As we ask that you open up our hearts to receive your word. Lord, give us a ready heart and a ready mind to receive what you have to say for us. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit to interpret and to reveal and to teach and to instruct us, Lord God, and to encourage us and strengthen us through your word. Father God, we thank you for your hand that's upon me, Lord, to help me to speak this word today with simplicity, with understanding, and with power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we welcome you here tonight. We thank you for your presence, and we look forward to hearing from you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I also want to apologize for my voice because allergy season is here, so it's kind of affecting me. So um, there might be some sneezing, some sniffling, and some snorting. So please, just want to give you a heads up. Uh, but I'll get through this with your prayers. Amen. amen. <laughs> no, I got, thank you. I, I appreciate that. So um, as I said, it's a very important subject I want to talk to you this evening. Um, let me start out with this. In many sports, like football, basketball, and soccer, and most other sports, there's what they call a halftime. And a halftime is uh, an extended break in the middle of a game uh, to give players a chance to get themselves together. It's also a chance to allow the coaches to uh, call in a struggling team and to acknowledge the team's performances and to encourage them to do better in the second half. Now, what's great about a halftime is that you have a whole second half that gives the team a chance to turn things around and do better. Amen? You could also say that a halftime acts as a grace period. So no matter how messed up the first half may have been, no matter how badly a team plays, and no matter how many mistakes they've made, Halftime, or the second half, I should say, always gives an opportunity to make things right. Are you hearing me this evening? Yes, sir. And, the, and you see, and there are many Christians today that, um, that may have struggled and may have had a bad first half in their first Christian lives. But the wonderful good news about this is that God gives halftime. Where he'll use it to call our attention to our own personal struggles and encourage us to do better in our second half. In other words, God encourages us, uses the second half to help us to get our lives together, to focus, and also to do better than we did in the first half of our lives. Amen. And so that's what we're talking about here. Because listen, halftime, or God's halftime, is his forgiveness. And his forgiveness is our second chance 
to get our lives right. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight about. I want to look at the importance, the greatness, and the awesomeness of God's forgiveness and how it applies to us. So let's begin going, by going to Ephesians chapter 1. And let's, get, let's look at verse 7. In verse 7, it says this. God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So grace, or God's forgiveness, is a, part, is a product of his grace. It took God's uh, sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ to hang on the cross to lead us to have that forgiveness of our sins. And I thank God for that because he also gives us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And what the Spirit God, of, of God does, one of his many roles, is to, uh, to pierce our hearts with conviction so that we may confess and repent of our sins. And we'll talk about that a little later. But forgiving us has always been God's plan. I want you to know that because that's very important. In the beginning of the scriptures, from the book of Genesis, we see that God's already, you can see the redemptive plan already put into action. We understand that when Adam and Eve sinned, God had brought them together, confronted them, and began to address the many consequences as a result of their sin. One of those consequences is their eviction from the garden and their separation from their personal and intimate relationship that they once enjoyed with God. Another uh, consequence that they have to deal with because of their sin is the, the, the hardships and the difficulties of their lives that they're going to face because of that. But then I want you to go to Genesis chapter 3 because then God turns to Satan or to the serpent and begins to address the consequences in his life. Genesis chapter 3, and look at verse 14. God says to the serpent, So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now, it's verse 15 that I want you to really focus on. And he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise or crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. So we see here God's very first promise of his plan for redemption. And in verse 15, he says that there's a descendant of Eve, which is her seed, which is supposed to come down and destroy the devil. That seed is Jesus. And the promise that God had made in the beginning has already been fulfilled in, in Christ's victory on the cross, which led to our forgiveness of sin. In 1 John 3, 8, it says that he who sinned is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And it says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that's what Jesus had done. So you can see from the beginning already that God's plan has already been hatched out for our salvation and forgiveness. So forgiveness has always been part of God's plan for us. It was intentional because God knew that this is what we needed. Because understanding God's forgiveness is a part of his very essence of nature. It's part of his character. It's who he is. Look at, uh, look at Psalm 86 and look at verse 5 as it describes God. It says, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. 
and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. We're talking about a God who is ready to forgive. You can fall a hundred times and maybe be ashamed to go to God again. And it may seem like it's going to be difficult to go to God and realize that God will receive us again. There's some doubt whether God will receive us because of the many times that we've fallen and because of the fact that we're ashamed to come to him. But that's not the case because the scripture says that God is always ready to forgive. So that was the plan all along. Jesus was his plan always to come down, to die on the cross, and to lead us to forgive our sins. And that, my friend, is a, is, is a great opening to say amen because God is so good. And if it wasn't for his forgiveness, we'd all be lost forever. And we'd have no one to mediate for us, to plead for us, and to lead us to forgive our sins because there'd be no one. But thank God, his plan all along was to forgive us of our sins. Amen? Amen. So when we talk about God's forgiveness, we're talking about God's willingness to cancel out all of our sins. He's not only ready to forgive, but he's also willing to forgive. Go to Micah chapter 7. The prophet Micah, and this is what he says to God. Verse 18 says, where is another God like you? who pardons the guilt of, rem, of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people. Verse 7, uh, I'm sorry, we're still in verse uh, 18. You will not stay angry, he says, with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love or mercy. There's some, Pastor John had shared something with me back uh, last Sunday. Pastor, if you remember, uh, we were invited to a party Sunday birthday party and um we got to talking he was sharing about a book that he had read and the book was about god's strong emotions towards us and uh and he made a reference to the book where it says that all throughout the bible you see how god i mean how god was always provoked to anger by his people but nowhere in the bible does it say that god was provoked to love us now uh correct me if i'm wrong pastor but what i got out of that was this you cannot motivate God to love us. You cannot prod him to love us. You cannot encourage him to love us. You cannot provoke him to love us. You don't even have to have a good reason to love us. Because God is love. Love is who he is. And, and, and for him to hate you, that would be completely, totally out of character. It would not be within his nature. But God does not hate you. God does not hate me. He may hate the sin that we do. He may hate your attitude. He may hate the sinful activities, but he can never hate you personally. Because God is love. It's part of his nature. And one of the beautiful things uh, about a blackboard, you know, you don't think about a blackboard as being a beautiful thing. But, <laughs> but when you're writing on the board and you make mistakes, all you have to do is reach out for the eraser and then erase the mistakes. God's forgiveness works that way. And God has a willingness to cancel out all of our sins. Understand that God made a way, Jesus, through Jesus, he made a way for us to be able to stand before God in his presence without guilt or condemnation. Even though we still remain vulnerable to sin every day of our lives. 
but yet he still loves us. Go to Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 7. Oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Think about that. Think about a person who's committed a crime and has a long record. And imagine that record being expunged and canceled out and removed. So that someone will look to, for the records and say, it's not there. Because it's been canceled out. And the Bible says, what joy of those whose record the Lord has cleared. Hallelujah. Of sin. So forgiveness is God's willingness to cancel out our sins so we can start all over again and make it right the next time. Look at Acts chapter 3. Verse 19. He says this, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. That means to be erased or wiped out so that the times of refreshing, refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, there are times as Christians that we may sin without realizing that we've sinned. God is not going to hold that against us because we didn't do it willfully or knowingly. But if we're honest, <laughs> in most cases, sins are committed knowingly. What's even worse, there are Christians who actually plan to sin. They know that the things they're about to do is wrong, but they deliberately choose to do it anyway. Maybe there are some of you here who think that because God wants to stop us from sinning, that God will do that physically. Maybe God will send down a lightning bolt just as about we're about to act out on a sin. Or maybe God will send an invisible straitjacket to prevent us from acting out our sins. How many of you ever think that? How many believe that? No, that, God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that at all. However, we do have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sins. The Holy Spirit will send red flags, letting us know that we've just entered into a minefield and we need to back away. But what happens if we don't respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? What happens if we ignore the red flags that he sends to us, warning us? Go to Romans chapter 1 and look at verse 28. Where God talks about, Paul talks about how God had created the heavens and the earth and he manifests himself through his creation. But many people uh, refuse to acknowledge God and instead of worshiping the creator, they begin to worship his creations. And here in verse 28 it says this, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that they should never be done, that should never be done. The message translation says it like this. God quit bothering them and let them run loose. In the King James Version, the, the phrase God gave them over is used three times. God gave them over to whatever sin that they were dealing with. And so what the scripture is saying is simply this. If we ignore the warnings of the Holy Spirit, if we ignore the conviction of the Holy Ghost, then God has no choice but to simply take his hands away and just let you be on your own. Now, it could be that maybe you come to a place in your life where you realize, you know what, I got to stop this. This is wrong. Or have to deal with the consequences of your actions. 
But God is not going to force himself and stop you from doing it. But he did give us the Holy Ghost to bring conviction into our hearts. And so often when people sin and they have to deal with the consequences, even though having to deal with the consequences, God is still willing to forgive you. Oh, man. Now, although God is willing to forgive us, and although God is always ready to forgive us, God requires two things that will meet the conditions of our forgiveness. The first thing is the, what we call repentance. Now, repentance means uh, a, a sincere resolve to turn away from sin and then turning to God. Let me give you an example. Let's say you were driving on 95 going southbound. And you're driving for several miles and you realize, oh, wait a minute, I need to go to 95 North. Repentance is not thinking about changing directions. Repentance is looking for the next exit, getting off, crossing over, and then getting onto the right side, heading towards home where God is. That's what repentance is. There's a turning away from sin and then turning to God. And that's so important to understand that because too many times we think we've repented and we haven't. The original Greek word for the word repentance implies a sorrow or, or a remorse for, for the sin that you've committed. It also causes us to change our thinking or change our, our attitude, leading us to turn our lives around for the better. There's always, it always leads to change. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Look at verse 10. It says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. He said, There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow that lacks repentance results in spiritual death. So even if we, even though we may fall again down the road, God is always there, willing and ready to forgive you once we acknowledge our sin and repent and turn away from that sinful activity and turn back to God. We understand, if if you remember the story in the book of Acts, where on the day of Pentecost, which is a very important Jewish festival that caused thousands of Jews to come from all over to come and celebrate in Jerusalem that particular uh, festival, Well, something else took place in that day, something historical. It was the birth of the New Testament church, and it started in the upper room where the disciples were there, along with several other women, were there, they were waiting there as God, as Jesus instructed them to do until the promise came. Well, on that day, the promise came. The Bible said he came with a rushing mighty wind and then filled each one of them with the Holy Ghost, and they all began to speak in tongues. Now, that must have uh, caused quite a stir because many of the people that were there who come to celebrate the day of Pentecost acknowledged and, and seen and witnessed this great supernatural event. Some of them were mocking what was going on, but then there were others that were sincerely wanting to know what took place. And we pick up over in verse 37 because the Spirit of God was so strong in Peter that he stood up and began to preach the gospel. And he says this in verse 37. And Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him to the other and to the other apostles brothers what should we do so having heard their message it cut to their hearts it convicted them and they wanted to know what do we do now 
And then in verse 38, Peter replies with an answer. And he says this, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Notice the emphasis here on must. You must repent of your sins and then turn to God and then be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So every act of repentance must include a turning away from the sinful activity and a turning to God. But if we seek forgiveness without the intentions of wanting to turn from our sins, then we've not truly repented, which means also that we've not been forgiven of our sins. There has to be a turning away. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. He says, let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. Now look at Psalm 32 and verse 5. Finally, I confess my, all of my sins to you, and I stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. When you take the time to confess and to acknowledge and to repent of your sin, God will uh, forgive you immediately. The Bible says he forgives generously. And he's always ready to forgive. And when we repent of our sins, he's willing to cancel out your sin right there on the spot. Hallelujah. You see, God will not listen to or act upon or accept empty words of repentance. The repentance that we that we do, that we set out to do, has to have some substance. There has to be some change. There has to be a turning away. There has to be a change of attitude. Otherwise, God is just going to ignore it and not forgive you. Now, David understood this. When we sin, we're actually sinning against God. When we sin, it's an offense to God. David understood this because he, by, by committing adultery, he thought that by sort of hiding it and, and, and getting rid of the, the, the woman's husband and, and the fact that he impregnated her and everything else, and he figured, okay, if I get rid of the husband, I can take her as my wife, and nobody will know. But how many know that you can't hide sin from God? But so what God did was this. He said, Nathan the prophet to confront David and to expose the sin in his life. And uh, David responded in this way in Psalm 51. Look at verses 3 and 4. David says, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. In Numbers 32 and verse 23, you don't need to go there. But it says this, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. It is so necessary that when we sin against God, we recognize that, acknowledge that, and then quickly confess and, and, uh, and repent. Because if we continue on with our sin, and it may go on for years, but there will be a time where your sin will find you out. 
And sin will always lead to consequences. And understand that God does not want to continue, does not want us to continue in a life of sin. But he wants to forgive us because he's willing and ready to forgive. But he's waiting for us to meet the conditions for forgiveness. And that is to repent of our sins. When we realize this, when we realize that every sin that we commit, it's, it's, a, it's an offense against God, that should do something to us. That should mean something to us. That should bring some sort of remorse and sorrow in us, realizing, Lord, I forgive you. I remember when I first got saved, I was still young in the Lord, and I was still rough around the edges. But I had such a personal relationship with God because of the way God came into my life. And one day, I was provoked to anger. And all of a sudden, words started spewing out of my mouth. And as I was, and it was coming out. And you know how sometimes you turn on the faucet and water just comes down and saying, you can't turn it off because, well, that's what happened to me. Once it was out, I just couldn't stop. It just kept coming out. And I remember when I left the house, I got into the car. And I cried, and I cried bitterly. I cried because I realized I disappointed God. I realized I sinned against God and I disappointed him and I felt so terrible. We should all feel that way every time we sin against God. It should move us to the point where we, 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 you know, it breaks us down to tears because we've offended God. God wants to forgive you. How many believe that? And he, made known, he let us know that in 1 John 1, 9. He tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So whatever stain you may have had when you went to God, that stain is no longer there. Doesn't matter how big the stain is. Doesn't matter how, how ugly the stain was. When we come to God, repent and confess before him, he says he's, he's going to wipe it away. Hallelujah. So why is, important, why is it important to confess your sins? Before I answer that question, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever experienced a bad Wi-Fi connection? Every one of us has experienced that. Let me read to you what John Piper once said, once wrote. John Piper is a well-known author and a famous preacher. And he's, he said this in one of his books. He said, when we sin... Our connection with God starts to cut out like a bad Wi-Fi signal. But when we confess our sin, God, who is true to his promise to forgive and restore us, repairs the signal. In other words, he restores the connection, which is the relationship that we have with God. That's why acknowledging God, our sin and confessing it is so important to God. Because we're acknowledging the fact that we've offended him and we want to make it right. We want to restore that connection. So, Psalm 86 and verse 5, which I read to you earlier, says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. One of the most beautiful illustrations of God's love and forgiveness is found in the book of Hosea. How many have ever read the book of Hosea? Wonderful, wonderful book. I love it. And Hosea is a book of, of prophecy of God's unchanging, unconditional love towards his people. And unfortunately, his people were filled with sin, committing sin of idolatry and spiritual adultery. 
And the book here describes how God chose Hosea the prophet and commanded him to marry a woman who was a prostitute. And he, and he told him to marry a woman that God knew would be unfaithful to him. And so, and of course, the scripture said that God did this in order to point to Israel of their sins. And so Hosea goes out and finds a woman, a prostitute named Gomer, and marries her and then has children with her. Look at Hosea chapter 1, look at verse 2. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Watch this. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea does what God told him to do. He finds a woman, marries her, has children, but then soon after, Gomer, the, his wife, leaves him and the children to be with another man. Now, you can imagine the emotional distress that Gomer caused Hosea. Having a wife that doesn't love him as much as he loved her. Having a wife who's not committed to the marriage covenant that he was. And having an adulterous woman who loves another man and not her husband. Imagine how God felt towards Israel. So, yet God instructed Hosea to demonstrate unconditional love towards his wife, the adulteress, the woman who ran off with another man, the woman who's laying with another, with another man, the woman who, who's unfaithful, who broke their covenant. And God says, I want you to go love her. Look at Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1. And I got to tell you that when I started reading this, I, I got really emotional about this. Because despite all of the emotional pain and suffering that his wife may have caused him, Hosea was willing to go after her and reconcile with her. This is what God says. Then the Lord said to me in verse 1, go and love your wife again. Let me say that again. Go and love your wife who's laying with another man again. And it says, even though she commits adultery with another lover. But this is the part that really, really got emotional. The last part of this verse, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Man. God is willing to love a people that did not love him. God was willing to be faithful to a people was, that was unfaithful to him. And God was willing to keep covenant with a people that was always breaking covenant with him. Yet he still loved them. He says to Hosea, go and love your wife again, even though she's there laying with another woman. You see, this is a, a very clear illustration of God's heart towards his people. God's heart towards us. It's a heart of love. It's a heart of acceptance. It's a heart of willingness to forgive. It's a heart that seeks us out and not alienate us or, or reject us because of our actions. And it doesn't matter what kind of sin we've committed. God is still willing to take it back and forgive you. In this story, 
We read where Hosea's action of taking his wife back was an illustration of God's unlimited, unconditional, and undeserving love towards a people that was undeserving. To a people who had forsaken him. This is a story of Hosea's action who represents God's love towards his people. And Gomer, the adulterous woman, represented Israel who had forsaken God. But in this story, God clearly shows how much he still loves us, no matter how bad we are. No matter how unfaithful we've been. Man. We know that unfaithfulness is a painful experience in any relationship. But especially in a relationship with God. And we need to understand that, you know, talking about God's emotion towards us, we got to understand that our sin cuts God deeply to the core. Our sin is grievous to God. There's a scripture in the Bible in Ephesians 4 and verse 30 where it says we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. That word grieve means to be saddened or to, to cause distress. When we sin, it causes God great distress and it saddens him. Nevertheless, it doesn't change God's willingness to want to forgive us. Go to Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 8 through 11. He says in verse 16, I'm sorry, uh, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have made, been made right in God's sight, by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Verse 10, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we, still, we will certainly have, uh, be saved through life, through the life of his son. Verse 11, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. The two things I want to uh, point out to you. It says here in verse 8 that he sent Christ to die for us even while we were still sinners. Then it says in verse 10 that God restored us by his death or by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. Remember back in Hosea, the Bible says that God instructed Hosea to go back and love his wife again even though she's still committing adultery. Even while she's still with her lover. God is not waiting for us to change our lives, to love us. He already loves us even while we're still in our sin. It's hard for me to even fathom or, or, or imagine how God can love a people while they're still in active, while they're so active in their sin. But yet that shows us that he still loves us. Whether we're good or bad, he still loves us. He cannot hate us because it'd be out of character. Now, I mentioned to you that in the beginning there are two conditions in order to receive forgiveness. One of them is repentance. The other is forgiving others. Now, what I'm going to share with you tonight may make you uncomfortable. And you may not like what I'm about to say. And it might be difficult to hear. 
But let me ask you, please, please listen. Hear what the Holy Ghost have to say. Why do we forgive? God's solution for a heart that's hurt, for a relationship, or for a trust that's been violated, or for a relationship that has been betrayed, or for a reputation that has been ruined, God's solution to that is forgiveness. Have you ever been hurt before? Have you ever had your trust violated? Have your marriage covenant been or relationship been betrayed? The only solution to that is forgiveness. A good example of that is Joseph. We all know the story of Joseph. Joseph was a young boy and his brothers hated him. His brothers bullied him. His brother was cruel to them, to him. They were so angry with him and so hateful towards him that they were even wanting to murder him. But instead, they sold him to slavery. Taking away his young life. And you know the story, his ups and downs in Joseph's life. He became a house slave. Then he was falsely accused of raping his master's wife and then was sent to prison for what seemed like for the rest of his life. Having no hope or future. Disappointed. But then by some remarkable circumstances he became he rose from prison to the position of prime minister and holding the second most powerful position in Egypt now several years later he sees his brothers Joseph was now in a position well first of all he had every right to be bitter towards his brothers he had every right to be angry with his brothers because of what they've done. How they changed his whole life. And he was also in a position of power to really do them harm. To retaliate and pay them back for what they've done. But instead, Joseph chose to forgive them. And in Genesis chapter 45 and verse 15, when, when Joseph revealed who he was to his brothers, you can imagine what his brother's first thought was. Oh my goodness. But this is their great reunion in verse 15. It says, then Joseph kissed each of his brothers. We're talking about the brothers that had cruelly treated him and got rid of him and sold him into slavery. The very brothers that wanted to kill him. The very brothers that couldn't stand him. Yet the Bible says that Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. Joseph chose to forgive him or forgive them rather than retaliate and pay them back. Now listen to what I'm about to say. Complete healing requires forgiving our abusers or our offenders. Forgiveness is pardoning. Now listen, forgiveness is pardoning the offender and that the offender would be considered and treated as being not guilty. Treated as though they'd never done anything wrong. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. 
after Paul lists some of the things and some of the ways that we used to live and some of the ways we used to act in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. But he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. The word justified means to be acquitted or vindicated from guilt. And that's what we need to do to our offenders. Vindicate them from all guilt. Now, does that mean that they're not guilty? Sure, they're guilty. But we choose to forgive them and vindicate them. Again, this may be difficult for some of you to, to listen, but listen. To forgive others means to stop blaming what they've done. Stop blaming them. Stop rehashing the things that they've done. Forgiveness means to stop the blame. Forgiveness also means giving up the power and desire to want to punish and retaliate. Forgiveness also means releasing, that means fully freeing the person from a debt or an offense that was made against you. Now, I don't know if, if there's anyone here who is struggling with, with uh, unforgiveness. And those of you who are watching, I don't know if you're dealing with unforgiveness. But please listen to what the Spirit of God is saying tonight. God wants us to forgive. In Matthew chapter 18, we read a story where Jesus tells a story about this king who called all his servants who owed him money. And there's one particular servant who owed him a million dollars. And when he said to the servant, okay, I want you to pay up what you owe. And the servant says, I don't have the money. And so the king says, well, you don't have the money. Then I'm going to have to sell you, your family, and everybody else in order to collect my debt. And the scripture says that the servant pleaded with the king. Says, oh, please, king, give me another chance. Give me some time. I don't have the money, but I'll come up with it. But please. And the scripture says that the king was so full of pity and compassion that he forgave the servant all of his debt. We're talking about a million dollars now. So when the servant entered the palace, he came in with a debt. When he left the palace, he left without a debt, completely free. Now, in verse 28 of Matthew 18, this very same servant who had just been forgiven of all of his debts runs into one of his fellow servants in verse 28 and says, but when, a man left, when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars far less than what he owed the king. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Verse 29, And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait, and he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Verse 31, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said to him, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33 says, Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. The lesson that Jesus was trying to teach us here today is this. That forgiveness ought to be a direct proportion to the amount forgiven. 
The servant was forgiven of a million dollars. Shouldn't he have forgiven the other servant who only owed him a thousand dollars? But he chose not to. And because he didn't, he had that debt all over again. And now he's suffering the consequences for his actions. Understand this. The servant was forgiven of all debts. God has forgiven us of all our sins. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of what? All your trespasses. I want you to say that with me. All my trespasses. Forgiveness is an act of obedience to God's will that leads us to peace and freedom from hurt, from anger, and from resentment. There are people who have held on to unforgiveness and it's causing them a great hurt and great pain. Every time they think about it, they become angry and sometimes they, they lash out their anger towards their loved ones because of the hurt that they suffered. And sometimes whatever we go through in life, it, it can shape our thinking, shape our minds and shape our lives and affect us. Also affecting others. But the scripture says that the, the solution to that is forgiveness. Because that not only frees them, but it also frees you. It, it, it takes away the resentment. It takes away the, the, the bitterness. It takes away the anger. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision we make. It has nothing to do with emotions. If you rely on your emotions, you may want to forgive today, but tomorrow you may not feel like forgiving that person. But it's a choice. It's a decision that we make. And we can't allow the devil to keep rehashing and replaying the, 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 the offense that was done to you. And you can't entertain those thoughts because it's going to stir up those same feelings all over again. Then you have to start all over again to, to try to deal with that forgiveness. No, you have to make a choice every day to forgive no matter how you feel. And you have to trust God that sooner or later those feelings will eventually go away. You saw that one of those church bells with those big ropes and you pull it down and then it starts to ring. Bing, bing. Well, as long as you're pulling on that rope, that bell is going to continue ringing. And that's what, that's what resentment does. That's what anger does. As long as you keep tugging at that rope. But when you let go of the rope, the bell will still continue ringing. But after a while, that bell will stop ringing. That's what we need to do is trust God. Make a decision because sooner or later, that pain, that resentment will eventually go away. Until there's no more pain. Until there's no more anger. I can testify to that. I feel no anger or no pain towards what, towards an offense that was done to me. Unjustly and unfairly. Yes, I was bitter. Yes, I was angry. But I trusted God and I learned to forgive. Now, is that easy to do? No. But you have to make a conscious effort every day. Lord, I'm going to forgive this person. I'm going to ignore my feelings. I'm going to ignore my thoughts. I'm going to forgive because you forgave me. God is the standard for forgiveness 
Because the scriptures say we are to forgive just as he forgiven us. So it's a choice. It's a decision we have to make. Forgiveness is not, it's not to excuse or approve the wrong that was done to you. It's not, it doesn't mean that the wrong that was done to you is acceptable when you forgive. And forgiveness does not justify the offense. But forgiveness is a choice to release that person from the wrong that was committed to you. And it's a necessary step for our healing. How many of you need healing from anger? How many of you need healing from bitterness and resentment? Forgive. Make the decision to forgive. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Now the reason why we need to forgive is because God tells us to. He says in verse 32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. In Matthew 18, in verse 21 and 22, Peter asked a question. He says, Lord, if my brother should, should offend me, how many times do I forgive him? And Jesus says, 70 times 7. In other words, there's no cutoff period when it comes to forgiveness. Forgiveness is an ongoing experience. It never ends. We must always forgive. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. In verse 3, because listen, as difficult as it may be to forgive, God has given us the ability to do so. Look at what he says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. How many of you know that forgiveness is part of godliness? How many of you know that forgiving others is a godly thing? And the Bible says that God has given us everything that we need to live that godly life, which is a life of forgiveness. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36 and look at verse 26 and 27. Yes, we have the ability to forgive. We just need to be willing to forgive. Just as God is ready and willing to forgive us, we also need to be willing and ready to forgive others. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, he says, and I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony and stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. Then in verse 27, and I will put my spirit in you. Why? So that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us to forgive. We make the decision and the spirit of God will help us to maintain that decision each day. There might be moments of struggle. There might be some relapse. But this is where we ask God to forgive and then repent and then make that decision all over again. Even if you, if, you, if you have to make that decision throughout the day several times. Even if it's 70 times 7 in one day. You must forgive. Let me end with this, this story. There was a pastor who was very well liked and very well admired. And people looked up to him. But he carried this heavy burden. And, and, and this heavy burden was a secret sin that he had committed way back several years ago when he was in seminary. And even though he had asked God for forgiveness, he still carried that burden in his heart and in his spirit. And so 
One day he found out that there was a woman in the congregation who had visions of Christ who would speak to her and she would speak with him. Now, he was a little skeptical, so he decided he was going to put it to the test. So one Sunday morning, he came up to her and says, listen, I heard that um, you have visions of Jesus Christ and, and, and he speaks to you. And uh, she says, yes, I do. So he said, well, I'll tell you what. The next time you have a vision of Jesus, the next time he appears to you in a vision, I want you to ask him this. Ask him what sin I committed in seminary. And the woman said, all right. Several days later, she goes up to the pastor and says, Pastor, the Lord Jesus appeared to me in a vision. Now, when someone comes up to you and tells you the Lord Jesus appeared to me in a vision, I, I get a little skeptical too. Matter of fact, I get a little scared. But she said, the Lord appeared to me and spoke to me in a vision. And uh, the pastor said, well, did you ask him what sin I committed? And she said, yes, I did. And he said, well, what did he say? And she said, well, he said this. I don't remember. When you forgive, you got to forget. When God forgave us, he canceled it out and threw it into the sea of forgetfulness. Never to bring it up again. Never to remind you again. Never to hold it against you. He's forgotten it. So when we stand before God, after, we forgive, after we've asked for forgiveness and repented, God immediately forgives and then he forgets. If you even bring it up, he'll say, I don't remember. I've forgotten. God has called us to do the same. Look at Hebrews chapter 8, and we'll close with this, in verse 12. You see, the promise of the new covenant comes with better promises. And part of the promises is this, in Hebrews 8 and verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawlessness deeds I will remember no more. The awesomeness and the greatness of God's forgiveness. It's just a wonderful thing. It's hard to imagine that God can forgive me for everything I've ever done. Things that I'm ashamed of. Things that I'm not proud of. Yet God forgave me and forgotten it. And since I asked for forgiveness, God has never brought it up to my attention. He's never come to me and reminded me, remember what you did back in the day. Remember what you said Back in the day. Or remember what you said yesterday. No, he won't do that. He's forgiven and he's forgotten. And he expects us to do the same with one another. Can we do that? Would we, willing, would we be willing to do that? Are we willing as God was willing to forgive us and to forget? Well, let's pray. Father God, we thank you. For speaking to our hearts about your will when it comes to forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us and accepting us as we are. Thank you for loving us no matter how many times we've fallen, no matter how many times we fail. Thank you, Lord, for being willing and ready to forgive. And now, Lord, we ask that you help us to be just as ready and just as willing to forgive others just as you've forgiven us. Help us, Lord God, by your spirit to forget once we've forgiven. Help us each day, Lord God, to resist the devil from 
pondering and rehashing the offense that was made to us and help us to make a decision every day to forgive. Lord, I thank you for the ability and the power to do so because you've promised. You won't tell us to do something without giving us the ability to do it. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that today, Lord, right now, we make a decision to forgive our offenders and treat them as though they've not sinned and treat them as not guilty. Lord, help us to do that. And Lord, for this, we thank you. We honor you and we praise you, Father God, for being such a wonderful and forgiving God. And Lord, may you help us to be just as forgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.